All right, it's Sunday morning, and uh, we're in a study of the Old Testament, and I'm trying to help people to see why Christmas was so evil. Christmas is the same thing that Israel was involved in in the Old Testament. All the gods they were involved in, all the gods, and it all really entered Israel. Well, all through the book of Judges, they were always going after Baal or Balaam. I am or I-Y-M is always plural. Elohim is the word Lord. E-L-O-H-I-Y-M. I-Y-M is plural. That shows you that there's more than one person in the Godhead. And they were going after Baal. They were going after Grove. The Grove. And the Grove was another name for Ashtart, A-S-T-A-R-T-E. If you look up Grove in your McClinican Strong, it'll tell you this. It was another name for Ashtaroth, A-S-H-T-O-R-E-T-H. It's spelled with an A if it's singular, spelled with an O if it's plural, if it's more than one tree god. And this, and the proper word for grove is the word Asherah, A-S-H-A-R-A-H, excuse me, E-R-A-H, S-H, Asherah. And the Asherah was always worshipped in the form of a triangle. And they tell you in in this McClinican Strong that they were worshipped in the stars and Layard and Layard's Nineveh says the same thing, says they're worshipped as a triangle, as a triangle. And the 10th chapter of Matthew, tell, Matthew, I'll get it right in a minute, 10th chapter of Jeremiah will tell you they put a platform on it and they decorate it with silver and with gold. That's where the Christmas tree comes from, whether anybody likes it or not. Now, they went after all of these and many more gods. I've told you this story so many times. Everything in the Old Testament that is wrong that Israel did wrong has to do with the Christ Mass. It's all sun and tree worship. The sun was represented on earth by the fire and the tree was represented by the moon and the moon was called Queen of Heaven. And when you look at that in the first chapter of Genesis, the moon was the lesser light, but the pagans liked to worship the moon more than the sun because the moon was so pleasant at night you could see the stars, and they liked the moon worship uh, more than the brightness of the sun. That's like they liked to worship darkness rather than light. That's what Jesus said when he was talking to Nicodemus. Men love darkness rather than light because the their deeds were evil. Now, 
I'm talking about the Old Testament all the time that Israel was a nation all the time. Everything before they became a nation, they were looking forward to being a nation. And their only problem while they were a nation, you had the in the Old Testament, you had the lineage of Israel, Israel's lineage. And it starts in Genesis, the fifth chapter. Genesis, the fifth chapter, Abraham had a son. Excuse me. God had a son and called his name Adam. Adam had a son. At first, you started with God. Adam had a son and called his name Seth. Seth had a son and called his name Enosh. Enosh had a son. This is sons, grandsons, great-grandsons, and so forth. Enosh, and Enosh had a son and called his name Canaan. Canaan, C-A-A-C-A-I-N-A-A-N. Canaan had a son and called his name Mahalalel. Mahalalel had a son, called his name Jared. Now, Jared was, he was the father of Enoch, And Jared lived 960 years. So he nearly lived as long as Methuselah, who was the son of Enoch. Enoch's son was Methuselah, and he lived 969 years. Jared lived 960 years. So Jared was pretty close to Methuselah's age. It's believed that Methuselah lived all the way to the flood and was drowned in the flood. Everybody that was drowned was not necessarily an unbeliever. There were eight souls saved in the ark, Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. And then if you want to keep going, then Methuselah had a son named Lamech. Lamech had a son named Noah. All these were sons, grandsons, great, 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 great grandsons. And the lineage continues through Shem, the second born of Noah. And Shem has a son. His name is Salah. Now, excuse me. Skipped one. Arphaxit. Arphaxit's son was Salah. Salah's son was Peleg. Peleg. Peleg's son was Reu. Reu's son was Serug. Serug's son was Nahor. Nahor. Nahor's son was Terah. That's the father of Abram. Or later on, his name was Abraham. And in the 17th chapter, Genesis 17, Abram, Abram means proud father. Proud father. Abram comes from Ab, which means father, and Rum. Rum is the word proud, R-U-M-N. That's the same word, six things God hates, and and the seven is an abomination. And the first thing on the list is a proud look, a Rum look. That's the first thing on the list there in Proverbs, the fourth chapter. Abraham's son was Isaac. Isaac's son was Jacob. 
And Jacob's name was changed to Israel in the 32nd chapter. And he had 12 sons, starting with Reuben and going down through Simeon and and then the second born and then Levi the third and Judah and going on down through the sons of the of the concubines of Jacob that would be uh, you would go on down to Dan, Asher, Gad, Naphtali and then uh, then uh, Issachar Issachar or excuse me, Zebulon, and then Issachar. Zebulon, then Issachar. And by this time, Rachel is saying, crying out to God, what about me? I don't have any sons. I am barren. And God gives her the greatest son a person could have, Joseph. Joseph is the very picture of Christ. And then Rachel has one more, Benjamin. And then... And his brothers are jealous of Joseph because he's given the coat of colors, except it's not a coat of colors. That's not what it says in the original text. He's given a coat of pos. The word color in the Hebrew is the word A-Y-I-N. It is not this pos. The pos was the coat of authority. And when he was 17 years old, there in the 32nd cha- 37th chapter of Genesis, his brothers see him coming, 37, his brothers see him coming in northern Israel, and they're in their late 30s and early 40s. And they say, this, our father has given Joseph the coat of authority, and he's going to rule us, and he's 17? And they're enraged, so they sell him to a caravan going to Egypt. And you know the story. I don't have time to go through all of it. And then Joseph is over there in Egypt, all the story with Benjamin, putting the cup in Benjamin's sack and accusing them of being uh, thieves. Of course, he's doing that to get them to confess to see if they really are repentant. And then at the end of Joseph's life, At the end of his life, in Genesis, the 50th chapter, he dies, dies, and they're in Egypt. They're in Egypt. And the bondage doesn't start in Genesis with Joseph. Joseph was never in bondage. Isaac was never in bondage. And Abraham was never in bondage. People try to make the 400 years taking it back to Abraham. He was never in bondage. You can find that the Bible says, you got to remember this when it comes to bondage. Look over here in Genesis 15. This will tell you, the Bible tells us that Israel was in bondage for 400 years. Some preachers try to make him in bondage, make him in bondage for... 200 years and says the 400 goes back to Abraham that's not true because Abraham wasn't in bondage Isaac wasn't in bondage Joseph was the ruler in Egypt he was not in bondage and it says right here in the 15th chapter of Genesis 
This is God putting his blessing on Abraham. And he tells him, you're going to have a son. And it will not be by this Eliezer, this wonderful Syrian servant in your household. It will be out of your own loins. And he was 99 and he had he was too old to have children and Sarah was barren. It says right here in the 13th verse of the 15th chapter, this is the first time it says it. And God said to Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, that's Egypt, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict your people four hundred years. Abraham wasn't under affliction. Neither was Isaac, neither was Jacob. So that's talking about the affliction starts in Exodus the first chapter Exodus that's where the bondage begins a Pharaoh rises up it's the Bible says that he doesn't know Joseph he knew who he was everybody knew that Joseph saved Egypt it meant he wasn't intimately connected to him and Israel began to multiply at such breakneck speed that they said, we've got to do something. These people are multiplying. They're going to take over Egypt. So they said, we've got to kill all the firstborns that are born in Egypt. Well, they go to all the midwives and tell them, kill all the male children that are born. But the midwives of the, of the Jewish people in Egypt, they say, well, the women are just too quick. They deliver too quickly. They're lying to the Pharaoh. And then we know that one of them is born and he's put into the bulrushes. He's put out into a little ark, pitched within and without with pitch, put into the Nile River. It comes down to the bulrushes and the and the king's, the pharaoh's daughter, sees him down there, brings it out of the water, adopts it into her house. And she does something really unusual, according to Josephus. She takes the child to his real mother and lets her nurse him, and that's Moses' mother. Now, they go into bondage. In the first chapter of Exodus, they come out of bondage. In Exodus, the 12th chapter, that's the 10th plague. That's the Passover, death of the firstborn. And then they leave Egypt in the 13th chapter. The 14th chapter is where they are crossing the Dead Sea. They go down into the in between the waters. I do not believe it's like you see in the Ten Commandments. I don't believe it's a wall of water here that's as high as a, a six-story building and a wall here. I believe it's so far you couldn't see the water because it's a long way across the Red Sea probably 30 miles at least or more. God waits until they get down into the Red Sea. They could never have crossed with 3 million people. It had taken them days to cross. But it had to be so wide they could cross the Red Sea with a long file of people, maybe 5 miles. So when God caused winds to blow the water back, it was like dry land on the bottom of the Red Sea. When they got out there in the middle of getting towards the other side, which is a long way over, God says, okay, now I've got you, Pharaoh. And he reaches down, 
pulls the wheels. You'll find this in the 14th chapter of Exodus. Pulls the wheels off of Pharaoh's chariots. Says, now you drive against my people. And they said, the Lord God is fighting for, they even said that the Lord was fighting for Israel. Now, they're headed back to the promised land. God tells Moses when he gets down to that 20th chapter, to that 20th chapter of Exodus, they come to, actually come to the, to the Mount Sinai in the 18th chapter. He goes up on the mountain and then he comes back down in the 20th chapter and has in his hands the Ten Commandments. And then he starts giving, he starts giving in the 25th chapter instructions on how to build all the furniture for the temple. And he tells them all about how he wants them to build these six pieces of furniture. And he starts in that 25th chapter, tells them all about the candlesticks, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, how to sew that veil, and about the Ark of the Covenant. And all of these four are made of beaten gold. And then they have the 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 daily altar that's out of they call that uh, brass some say it was copper and then how they had this later on it was the sea but when they first come out it was a laver just a laver that was for the priest to wash in and of course they grew so much that they had to place it with a sea and that's this right here. I've, this is one of my favorite pictures. This is a favorite picture of mine. If I can find it. Where are we? I need to get me a an index for this. There it is. There's the C. That's the brazen sea where all the priests washed. You can find that in the seventh chapter of First Kings. You can read about it. Now, what I'm getting at, when they came out, when they get to Mount Sinai, and they bring the commandments down, and Moses is bringing it to the people, Moses tells the people, God says, you tell Israel, I'm going to take them back to this land that I gave to Abraham. And now this is approximately 1450 B.C. Abraham lived somewhere in the neighborhood, we don't know exactly, around 2000 or 2100 B.C. So this was, Abraham lived about somewhere around 600 years before they leave Egypt. So God's taken them back to the land that God had told Abraham in the 17th chapter. This is your land forever as long as you're obedient to me. If you ever go after other gods, I'm going to send four judgments. I was talking about this before church this morning. When I started reading the Bible, I found that any time you find something, this is what Phil was talking to me about, the law of first mention. Anytime you find something mentioned all the way through the Bible, 
every time it's mentioned, it'll have something to do with the character of the first time that it's mentioned. I've been teaching on Revelation on Wednesday night, and I've been talking about the Ark of the Covenant and how on the top of the Ark is the mercy seat or the Kaparoth, K-A-P-P-O-R-O-T-H. Kaparoth comes from Kafar. And Kafar is the word atonement, means to cover. So I'm talking about the mercy seat and how you can find in Revelation, the fourth chapter, that that mercy seat is called the throne of God. That's where Jesus sits as Melchizedek. And that is our hearts. This over here in the Old Testament was blotted out. That's where the law is written on fleshy tables of our hearts. And now the old, the over here in the Old Testament, that's all blotted out. The actual Ark of the Covenant no longer counts. It's our hearts where the law is written. And that's it was written on tables of stone kept inside the Ark of the Covenant. Now it's written on fleshy tables of our hearts, and that is the throne of God, where the high priest sits and rules Israel from there. The high priest now is Jesus, a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's in our hearts. So everywhere you find throne of God, All the way through Revelation, it's going to be the Ark of the Covenant or our hearts. That's what it's going to be. Now, I don't know why I got on that subject. Now, he says it'll be 400 years. You're going to find this 400 years in the 12th chapter of Exodus at that last Passover. You're also going to find it in the 7th chapter of Acts where Stephen is standing before the Sanhedrin and telling the Sanhedrin the history of Israel, he's going to say it was 400 years. You cannot change that. That they were afflicted, but they weren't afflicted until the first chapter of Exodus, long after the death of Joseph. Do you understand that? You cannot put Joseph or Abraham or Isaac in the affliction. They weren't. You have to be afflicted to be over there. Now, the Lord tells Israel, if you go after other gods, not only did they go after other gods, when you look at that that ninth chapter of, of Ezra, when Ezra comes back around 457 B.C., they were carried away captive in 586 B.C., and a lot of things happened between those two times. I won't go into that right now. But when Ezra comes back, he finds the children of Israel in Ezra, the ninth chapter. First few verses there, he finds them engaged in worshiping all the gods of the pagans, the Ammonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, all of the gods of these people, dozens of them. There's no wonder that God destroyed Israel. Now, you get on, you get Israel back from this 
We're going through the captivity. We come out of the captivity. They get into they get into Israel. They come into Israel. You have to go through judges. The judges were men that God picked out himself. Israel didn't vote on judges. God picked them out and caused them to be the heads of Israel. The heads of Israel are the judges. You had Joshua was the first judge. Joshua. Joshua. And the second John was Oth Neel. Othniel. Now, Othniel, does anybody remember whose son he was? Huh? Anybody? Othniel was the first judge after Joshua. He was the son of Caleb. Why Caleb? Does anybody remember that? What was it Caleb and Joshua did when they were in the wilderness that was different than all the other men? They took over when Moses died. Well, they did, but they did something when they were up over there in the wilderness. When they were... The wilderness is down here. Down here. And then got Israel here. And above that, you've got what we call Lebanon and here's the Mediterranean Sea when they were in the wilderness and they were told to go up to spy out the land of Anak Anak is on the south western border of Israel it's just south of Israel on the bottom western bank remember what that's called the land of Somebody's got to remember that. Anak. Thank you. And those were Anakims. Anakims that were in the land of Anak. And what's another name for that? Huh? Two more names. Two more names for that land of Anak. (laughs) Somebody knows that. What? Gaza Strip Strip is one name. That's what we call it today. And what other name was it during the Old Testament times? It was the land of the Philistines. And when they went in to spy the land out, all the men, they came back and said, those people are too big for us. We can't conquer them. So God says, all the males in Israel, 20 years old and upward, you got to die in the wilderness. What I'm going to do is measure out a year for every day that you were in the land spying it out. When you say we can't conquer them, what gets me, God had destroyed the largest army in the world, Pharaoh's army, when they crossed the Red Sea. And they said, he can't conquer these men, they're too big. And the only two men that said, 
Give us that mountain up there. A mountain was a city, a capital city. And there were two men that said, give us the mountain. Who was that? Joshua and Caleb. Therefore, when they came into the land, it's only natural that we, the one of the sons of Joshua or Caleb, would be the first judge in Israel. So Othniel was the son of Caleb, and he ruled Israel not as a king, but as a judge. And he gave them truth, and they would wander away. Soon as Othniel died, they went back to Baal and the grove. What? Then you had Gideon. You had before that, you had Shamgar. Shamgar. These are judges. You had Deborah. Uh, Israel would say, we don't want a woman ruling us. God says, just for that, I'll give you a woman. Oh, God, before Shamgar, they said, left-handed men are evil. God said, I'll give you one. His name is Ehud. He's left-handed and he'll deliver you. Boy, they couldn't please Israel. And they would be Deborah and Gideon. Gideon, what a what a man. And then after him, you had all these other judges. Uh, Jephthah, I love Jephthah. Jephthah was the son of a harlot. And they said, we don't want no harlot son ruling us. They're illegitimate. So they ran him out of town until... They were attacked by their enemies. And somebody said, let's go get Chamgar. He can deliver us. Let's get that son of a harlot. Boy, Israel was always wishy-washy, wasn't they? And then it went all the way through. Samson was one of the judges. Samson. He had several others there. And then the last judge in Israel was Samuel. And Samuel ruled Israel from 1 Samuel. He didn't rule. He would just tell Israel what God wanted to do. And if they didn't do it, he could call fire from heaven. In 1 Samuel, the first chapter up to the 8th chapter, Samuel was more or less the head man in Israel to ask, what do you, what do you want us to do, God? And then they cried out and said, Give us a king. In that eighth chapter, said Samuel's got two sons. We don't want them to have any say over us. They're evil. So God gives them a king, a man to be their king. And that's when wickedness starts coming into Israel. And the first man is Saul. First king of Israel is King Saul. And then Saul acts up because God caused an evil spirit to come upon Saul several times. He had to. Saul was the people's choice. And God had a choice. Saul came from the tribe of Benjamin. Wrong tribe. The king has to come out of Judah. 
So after Saul acts up, doesn't do God's will from that 11th through the 15th chapter, God removes him from the throne by the mouth of Samuel. Samuel says, your days are over. You're not king anymore. Go down to southern Judah. I've chosen me a king among the sons of Jesse. Go down to Jesse's house. And David went down there. And when he went down, the people were nervous, scared, because Samuel had come to town. They met him out at the city limits and said, Samuel, what are you doing here? You don't do nothing but bring fire wherever you go. He said, I'm here on the Lord's message. Went on down to the house of Jesse, and Jesse said, you want what? You want one of my sons to be king? Well, God said you had one that would be. So so Jesse says, well, I know who it has to be. I've got a son that's one of the tallest guys in Israel. And he is one of the great fighters for Saul's army. And he brings out Eliab. And Samuel looks at him and says, surely this is the Lord's chosen. He has to be. Look at what a strapping man. God said, I have not chosen this. God called Eliab a this. Didn't even call him him. And he brings out Abinadab. And brings out Shema. Brings out seven of his sons and passes them before Samuel. And he says... And Samuel was in agreement with it. It had to be one of these sons with Jesse. He said, man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And he made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. None of these. He said, do you have any more sons? Jesse said, there remains yet the youngest. (laughs) And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said, I'm not leaving till you bring him. And Jesse says, go get David. And they bring David in. God said, that's him. He was ruddy-faced. That means red-faced. Most of the scholars think he may have had freckles. He didn't look like Gregory Peck in that old movie <laughs> at all. He may have been red hair and freckles. And then David goes out and conquers Goliath. When he does, Saul gets real jealous, starts because the women are saying, Saul hath killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul says, I'll kill him. He's trying to steal my glory. And Saul takes out after him in the 19th chapter and all through the book down to the 31st chapter. Saul is trying to kill David. Now, you don't get in... Then we have David's book, 2 Samuel. And in 2 Samuel, that's where David takes over all of Israel. All the nations are coming to give him homage and to worship him and to put their approval on him. Even the Philistines came in and heard about the glory of David. But it's in the 11th chapter of 2 Samuel... That David is on a, he's looking out of the king's palace down on a housetop and he sees this naked woman sunbathing. 
and it's Bathsheba, and he says, I want her. And he sends a message to one of his men, tell her to come to the palace, and he sexually seduces her. She is the wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of David's most faithful soldiers. And he says, and Uriah, he, he, he calls, David gets Bathsheba pregnant. David says, gosh, i got to get out of this. This was David's first big mistake, first big sin. And he, she gets pregnant. David says, i got to do something about this. So he calls, he sends a message for Uriah the Hittite to come back from where he's fighting and he's fighting in the land of Ammon. They're fighting the Ammonites, some of Israel's permanent enemies. The Ammonite, the land of Ammon, is northern Jordan. Ammon, Jordan, is the capital of Jordan. It's right up here. And he calls for he calls for Uriah to come down to. Jerusalem, and when he, Ammon gets, when uh, Uriah the Hittite gets down there, David says, "You need to go home and enjoy. You've been at war, and you need to enjoy it some time with your wife and sleep with your wife." He's thinking maybe they'll think anybody that sees this baby being born that they'll think that this is Uriah's baby. Unless they look real close and they see a ruddy-faced baby with red hair. Oh, me. How's David going to hide that? Well, Uriah, the next morning, David says, go sleep with your wife tonight. The next morning, David gets up, comes out to the palace steps, and guess who is asleep on the palace steps? Uriah the Hittite. David said, didn't you go home? No, how could I go home when my and enjoy a night with my wife when my king is at war? David said, oh man, what am I going to do? He says, I've got it. I'll send him back to Joab, my commander. That's his nephew, a real hard guy to deal with. And he's David's commanding general. And he writes a note and he says, Put Uriah the Hittite in the heat of battle and withdraw from him so that he will be killed. And he wraps this note up, hands it to Uriah. Uriah has his death warrant in his hand and he takes it to Joab in northern what we call Jordan up at Ammon. And Uriah does, and Joab puts him in the heat of battle withdraws from him and Uriah's killed but that doesn't do away with the pregnancy of Bathsheba Bathsheba has this baby and and the baby is very sick because God struck the baby with illness and David cries and weeps before this happens I gotta insert something Nathan the prophet comes to David he tells him a story. He said, there's this man with all these flocks of sheep down here. 
And there's this one man that has this one little ewe lamb. And the king has some visitors come in, and he goes down to this one man and takes his one little ewe lamb, slays the lamb, and feeds his guests up here in the north. David says, if you'll tell me who that man is, I'll have him killed. And Nathan said, thou art the man, David. You did that. You took that one man's little you lamb, Bathsheba. And David didn't say, well, she was naked and I, I, I didn't know who she was. He knew exactly who she was. Her father, her grandfather was Ahithophel. That was David's chief counselor. He had seen her along the way. She's come into the palace saying, Where is my grandfather Ahithophel? So Nathan stands before David and says, Here's your judgment, David. The sword will never leave your house. It'll be with you from the rest of your life because of this sin. So the next chapter, which is chapter 13 of Second Samuel, David's oldest son is a man named Ammon. Amnon. A-M-N-O-N. This is David's oldest son. David has a daughter named Tamar. That's a common name. Those are common names like John or Bill this day and time or Mary or Judy or something like that. And Amnon sees Tamar. That's his half-sister. And she is beautiful. And he said, I want her. So he seduces her into his bedroom and he rapes his sister Tamar. How do you get to a king? Well, through his children. So he rapes Tamar. He's got another son named Absalom. Absalom hears about Amnon raping Tamar. He says, I'm going to get him. I'm going to kill him. And he plans for two years. And there's a festival. Two years later, and Absalom tells his father, I want to take Amnon to the festival. His father consents. Amnon goes with him. And Absalom finds him on a dark day, finds him somewhere where it's easily susceptible to Absalom's advances towards him. And Absalom kills Amnon. Well, that's a judgment, isn't it? Then Absalom runs away from Israel. Sometime later, Joab, David's commander, convinces David. David doesn't have to be convinced. He loves Absalom. And he convinces David to bring Absalom back home. Well, Absalom comes back home, and while he's at home, he starts standing out at the gate of the city, charming the people coming in. And he gets in love with himself. He's good-looking, he's got long, dark hair, and he charms the people into following him. He says, it's time for me to take over the kingdom.
So he puts his army together and attacks his father David in Jerusalem. And David takes his army and moves out of there, goes up here north of Jerusalem, crosses the Jordan River, and goes to a place that's called a city of refuge. What's the name of that city? Does anybody know? It's a place where you can go and get refuge. What's the name of the city? Huh? What is it? What is it? Mahanium. Yeah. Mahanium. Mahanium. He goes there and he takes his army and he's got three commanders. I've asked you this before. Who are the three commanders that he takes with him? Three men that are fighters, super fighters, leading the army. Who are the three generals? Joab. Huh? Joab. Joab. That was his nephew. Joab was a killer. He's somebody you didn't mess with. He'd kill you at the drop of a hat. He was a murderer. And who else was with David? Joab's brother? Abishai. Thank you. Abishai. And then who was the other general? He was a foreigner, and he loved David. He loved David so much, he said, wherever he goes, I'll go. And if he dies, I will die. Very faithful man. Itai. Itai. And what nationality was Itai? Itai. Huh? He was a Gittite, but what is a Gittite? Huh? He was a Philistine. How in the world can a Philistine love David so much? When David was running from Saul, he took refuge in the land of Philistines and became real close friends with some of them. Evidently, it ties one of those that he just stood by David to the death. And David runs for his life. And this is where Absalom... Absalom finds, or Absalom is chasing David. He's got that long hair. He runs under a tree, hangs himself by the hair of his head, but that doesn't kill him. He's just hanging there. And who is it that comes along? Comes along and finds him hanging. Joab, his first cousin. And Joab takes a spear and throws it through him. Here's the guy that got him back to Israel after after his episodes. And he's the guy that ends up killing him. And there were two runners. They were sons of priests. And they run back and they head back to tell David about Absalom being dead. And David is mourning over Absalom, saying, Absalom, my son, my son, 
and his heart is broken. And when he gets, when Joab gets back to where David is in Jerusalem, he goes in, Joab chews out David like he's a red-headed stepchild. He just says, why are you mourning over him? He wanted to take your kingdom, and I killed him. Joab wasn't afraid of nothing. But Joab was in charge of the army, and the army would follow the commanding generals. Now, David ends up dying at the end of Second Samuel. Actually, beginning in First Kings, he dies because he's given the kingdom over to Solomon. Solomon is a son of Bathsheba after that baby dies that David had gotten her pregnant with. So Solomon becomes the next king. Then we see Solomon rising up in those first three chapters of First Kings. See Solomon rising up to be the king. Let me erase some of this. I try to paint this picture. This is a picture of Israel as a nation. And it's because of what they do while they're a nation. They go after the sun and these tree gods. Now, I've gone through all this. Last week we talked about Israel being destroyed, northern Israel. Israel was split into two nations. When Solomon becomes king... And you read in First Kings how close he was to God. You sit in awe like I do. Why would he marry all of these 700 wives, pagan wives, and 300 concubines, which were secondary wives? How could he do that? I'd like to know that myself. I lust to the flesh. <laughs> Saw them women said, I'll marry them. Perhaps I can keep peace between me and their fathers who are heads of other nations. So, we said last week that the judgment of God began to come because Solomon in First Kings, the 11th chapter, well, before that in the... In the 8th and ninth chapter of 1 Kings, he finishes building the temple. It was God's command that Solomon build the temple of God. Like I said last week, if David hadn't have had his affair with Bathsheba, then she hadn't had a son that died. And David marries Solomon, who used to be the wife of Uriah the Hittite, who David had killed, he had murdered, and got his wife pregnant. Then Solomon wouldn't have built, there would have been no Solomon, he wouldn't have built the temple. This is the ordination of God's sovereignty. I don't understand that, but I believe it because the Bible says it. That's what you have to do. Believe it. So, God commissioned Solomon in 1 Kings, the third chapter. He commissions, he says, Solomon, I want you to build the temple. And you're going to be my king. 
And Solomon said, I am just a child. I know not how to rule this so great a people. How can I rule them? So God says, since you've asked for wisdom, I'm not going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you riches and wealth. And Solomon was the richest of all the kings that ever lived. But he said, all of my riches was vanity and vexation of spirit. That word vexation means to grab for the wind. He said, that's what I was doing when I was grabbing for all those women and all that gold and all that silver and all the wealth that I had. I was grabbing for the wind. I could never catch it. That's what you're grabbing for when you're going for money and things and stuff. When you get older, you know that. At 80 years old, I don't care about stuff and things anymore. My car is 20 years old. And it's got 130,000 miles on it. It runs great. Why do I need a new one? So I can show off and say, look at me. I got a new Cadillac. While I talk about death to self and daily cross and self-denial. I just don't care about those things. Once I get through talking to somebody and tell them Christmas is pagan and Easter's pagan and God doesn't love everybody, it ain't no matter what I'm driving or what I'm wearing. I can have the biggest diamond ring in town. Somebody's going to say, what are you doing wearing that diamond ring talking about death to self? Right? But you got to get old to come to that place. When you get to a certain age... You don't care about stuff no more. If my car wears out and falls down, I'll get another one, okay? Now, and I know you can't understand that when you're young. You're not supposed to understand it when you're young. So he gives Solomon the commission in the third chapter of 1 Kings. He finishes the temple in the 8th and the ninth chapter of 1 Kings. And in the 11th chapter of 1 Kings, Solomon married 700 wives, foreign wives, and 300 concubines. Let me put it bluntly. He had sex with all those women and said, they frustrate me. Something else. So God splits the kingdom into two nations, to southern Judah, which is southern Israel, and to northern Israel, Israel, which is Joseph, or Ephraim, or Samaria. So anytime you see Samaria, or Joseph, or Ephraim, referred to as a nation long after they're dead, that's northern Israel. When you see Judah long after he's dead, that's southern Israel, or Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. One tribe is reserved for David, Judah, and one tribe is reserved for Solomon, Benjamin. Now, then we got to the 16th chapter of 1 Kings. This is where corruption enters to Israel like never before. First Kings, the 16th chapter, that's where Ahab marries Jezebel. 
And Jezebel is the princess of Tyre. Her father is the prince of Tyre. And her father is Ethbaal. And he serves Baal and the grove. And any other gods he wants to serve. And when Ahab marries Jezebel, Ahab sets up Baal in the grove as the national god and goddess of northern Israel. Not of southern Judah, but of northern Israel. So Ahab is the king at that time. And he brings in this system that later on will be brought into the church and renamed the Christ Mass. Do you see how that, can you see how that everything in the Old Testament leading up to Israel becoming a nation, God warns them all through the books of Joshua and Judges, you're going into the land to possess it, don't go after other gods, and the gods they go after are the same ones that Constantine brings into the church and renames Christ's Mass. Duh. How can people be fooled by all of this? But this is the truth. Now, last week I told you how that God says, I'm going to scatter these nations. I'm going to send the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and then the beast will be the last judgment. I was explaining this this morning before church. When you see the four horsemen of the apocalypse in Revelation, the sixth chapter, you see the four horsemen. It's not some goofy thing that they make in movies or it's not some silly thing. I saw a a movie one night called The Rapture. I said, I got to watch this. And it was about some woman, the rapture is going to occur, and she takes her daughter out in the Arizona desert, and she's going to kill her daughter so she don't have to go through the tribulation period. She's real dumb. And while she's driving her car out there, these four horsemen are riding by her, one on a white horse and one on a red horse and one on a black horse and one on a pale horse. It's stupid. When you look at that in Revelation 6, it's as easy as falling off a log if you know what the four judgments are over here in the Old Testament. And if you look up sword in your concordance, and it'll say sword, famine, pestilence. Sometimes it'll say sword and famine. Sometimes it'll say famine, pestilence, and beast. But it'll name them over and over again. And it'll talk about how that God says, I will scatter Israel. He will scatter them with the, with the last judgment with after they're a nation for 500 years. He says, here's my last judgment. You haven't obeyed this sword. The sword is where they would come in against Israel that block every road coming in. And they, you can see this in Jeremiah 
the 19th chapter and you can see it in the 5th chapter of 2nd Kings 6th chapter of 2nd Kings where they're blockaded in there's no water they cut off the water supplies they cut off all the roads coming in and this is the siege it'll talk about the siege well that's when they come against Israel with the sword Ben-Hadad would come in block off all all avenues to Israel and then in about four to six weeks they would be eating their dead babies because they are starving to death and dying and God, God says in the 19th chapter of Jeremiah I'll cause you to eat your children when you go after these other gods the way that came about he would put the siege against them with the sword of their enemies they wouldn't have anything to eat and they would start eating their own dung and drinking their own urine he tells them I'll make you do that Israel you had no pity for me I'll have none for you so they end up going after these gods God brings the sword the famine would come that would come with no rain like Elijah no rain and no rain would come there in first Kings the 17th chapter after Ahab in the 16th chapter turns Israel over to Baal and grove worship in the 17th chapter out of the woods comes a man named Elijah he comes before the throne of Ahab and says, no rain for three and a half years, goodbye. And he left and he hid in a cave for two and a half years. And then he come out of the cave after three and a half years and he meets with Ahab on Mount Carmel and he says, you worship the fire god? You want to know who the fire god is? The god of fire? I'll tell you what let's do. Let's set up an altar here. We'll dig a big trench around it. We'll pour all these barrels of water on it. And then you stand here all day long and you call upon your gods, your sun gods, Baal and the grove and the rest of them and see if you can call fire down from heaven to devour this sacrifice. And Ahab's 450 prophets of Baal how many that he had this is in the 18th chapter of 1 Kings they scream and yell they're cutting themselves all over they thought if they cut themselves this would get their God's attention and Elijah stands out there and looks at him and says makes fun of him people say you shouldn't make fun of Kenneth Copeland the guy's an out and out liar and Ahab was, and Elijah was saying, perhaps your God is asleep if you will yell louder. Maybe he will listen to you. I've got it. Maybe he's on a journey and he doesn't know till he gets back. Or maybe he's gone somewhere to visit some other God. Ahab was joking at him, laughing at him. I've had people write to me and say, hey, uh, Elijah was wrong to do it. No, he wasn't. They were giving these other gods credit for what they didn't do. Finally, 
after all day long they had screamed and yelled and cut themselves and blood all over their sacrifice by the way they wore tall white pointed hats white sheets and worshipped a flaming cross on Lady Day yes the clan comes out of the same thing as the priests of Baal if you're black and you celebrate Christmas something's wrong with you after you hear this message And then, Ahab, then Elijah says, now, clear out that altar. Put another altar there. Pour water all over it. And he prayed in the neighborhood of a 62-word prayer and said, God, show them who you are. And the fire came out of heaven, licked up the sacrifice, all the waters in the sacrifice. Then Elijah said, lay hands on these 450 priests of Baal and kill all of them. And they did. Boy, Jezebel hears about that in the 19th chapter. She says, this Elijah has brought no rain. It wasn't Elijah that brought no rain. When Ahab goes after these other gods, that's when God says, I'll cause your enemy to come against you, and you'll flee seven ways, and you'll have no crops. You'll have curse upon the land, curse upon your storehouses. Everything will go wrong for you, and it was going wrong for Ahab. So God, so Elijah says to the people, kill these priests of Baal, and they did. Then we get on into the, where we were last week. I don't have time to go through all the history of Israel. Well, I, I was going to the famine. The famine is where there'd be no rain, like Elijah said in that 17th chapter, or there would be famine and the famine came with no rain or with too much rain where they would wash their crops away and that's what Samuel told them in 1 Samuel the 12th chapter he said God will send you if you go after these gods God's going to send enough rain to wash all your crops away right in the middle of spring and they're crying, say, oh, please, please don't do that. But they're the ones that's going to go after them. And then you have, you had these three ways. No rain, too much rain, or you had locusts. And when you see, anytime you see locusts in the Bible, it had to do with the judgment of God. And the in that ninth chapter of Revelation, when you see locusts coming up out of the pit, they're like scorpions. They're exactly like scorpions. Locusts devour. They devour the food crop. The food crop. They come in they would come in in hundreds of billions of locusts. They may block the sky for 20 miles wide, 15, 20 miles deep, and the sun couldn't shine through. And the people of Israel were terrified, going, oh God, there goes our food for the winter. We're not going to have anything to eat. And they were scared out of their minds. That's why when the locusts come up out of the pit, the place of no knowledge, 
they're like scorpions. The Lord told Ezekiel, you dwell among scorpions. Be not afraid of their words. Scorpion is the noun form, S-K-O-R-P-I-O-S, is the noun form of scorpizo. Scorpizo is the verb, and that is the word scatter. The hireling, the man who preaches for money, cares not for the sheep. He allows the sheep to be allows the wolf to come in, which are false teachers, and scatter the flock. Scatters the verb form of scorpion. Scorpions are false teachers. And what do false teachers steal? The nomos. Nomos is the Greek word law. It means legally prescribed food for animals. Prescribed food. And anomia, anomos, means no. The alpha pivot negates this. That's the word iniquity. It means no food for Israel. No law. That's what scorpions steal. Well, you get to the four horsemen of the apocalypse in Revelation 6. You had the pestilence. The pestilence, you had four horsemen. The first one was was a white horse. It was a king riding on the white horse. The second one was a red horse. The third one was a black horse. And the fourth one was a pale horse. The first one had a... He was on a white horse. White horse. All the kings, as they'd go into battle, would ride white horses. But the fact that the second three are what they are, it denotes who this first one is. The first one is not Jesus. That's the beast that will come at the end of time. And the reason we know it's the beast is because what these three are. The red horse, the man on it has a sword in his hand. The black horse, the man riding that, has a pair of balances in his hand, and he's measuring out food, and he's saying, a measure of wheat for a penny. A penny was a denarius. That was the word. That was a day's wages for a Roman soldier or a field worker. And you can find the field worker in that 20th chapter of Matthew. Matthew 20. So he he says, A measure of wheat for a penny. Wheat was the rich man's food. And three measures of barley for a penny. That would be oats. That was the poor man's food. What he's saying is when the time comes and Israel and you going after other gods, I'm going to bring the famine. This is about famine. So that third horse is about famine and the pale horse, when he comes, pestilence and death and hell ride with him. So what you've got 
you got the sword, the famine, and the pestilence. That's why the first horse has to be the beast, the four judgments of God. Now, I'm going to get back to where I was last week. I'm trying to paint this picture for you. I believe we are close to the end of time. The four horsemen of the apocalypse are the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast. How long have they been riding? Huh? Since the garden. God put a sword at the gate of the garden, lest Adam and Eve go back in and eat of the tree of life. There was famine. God looked at the man and said, from now on, you're on your living by the sweat of your brow, plowing the fields. So you had the sword. You had the famine. Pestilence was death. God says, if you eat at that, when you eat of that tree, you thou shalt surely die. So you had the sword, the famine, the pestilence. Where's the beast? The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Serpent is the word. This is what you have to look out for. N-A-C-H-A-S-H. Nakash. It comes from a word that's the same spelling, and it means to enchant or seduce. To enchant or make to feel good. It has the basic same meaning. Feel good. It has the basic same meaning as dragon in that 13th, and actually the 12th and the 13th chapter of Revelation. The dragon had seven heads and ten horns. I'm not going to get into that right now, but I do a thorough teaching on that. Dragon is the word dracon. It means to fascinate. See, the world beast system, when it comes, is not going to be a fire-breathing dragon. It's going to make everybody feel good. We've got the answers in the world. What are the problems in the world today? False teachers. Sword. Isn't it the sword? Isn't it war? The famine. There's not enough food to go around for the world. Pestilence, we got pestilence everywhere. And they're trying to bring in a new world order to solve everything. And they're going to say peace and safety when there is no peace and safety. And sudden destruction comes upon them as travails upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. There's no answer for this. The Bible says at the end of time, there's going to be distress of nations with perplexity. Aporia. No answer. You know what there's no answer for? There's no answer for the sword, the famine, the pestilence. And they're trying to come up with a beast, new world order that can rule over all of these problems that we've got. We've got pestilence everywhere. We've got ICs and Al-Qaeda and all kinds of terrorist organizations in America and around the world attacking everybody. We've got people in 
getting in buildings and shooting people and it, you can watch the ID channel and you can watch people kill each other all day long in America it's on the ID channel all day <laughs> husbands killing wives killing husbands killing kids killing everybody getting mad getting a shotgun getting a rifle getting up in some building in a house and start blowing people away that's part of the pestilence we've got Now, I didn't even mean to go into all of this, but I hope I can say this enough times where you can realize where we are in history. The Bible says this beast world system is going to have the answers. Well, it says that over here in in Daniel, the seventh chapter. And this is a good place to put it in. Daniel, the seventh chapter. How much time do I have? Sixteen. Huh? Fifteen? Sixteen. 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 Okay. Look over here in Daniel. I was going to get back. I told you last week how how in First Kings... 15 through 17 or 2 Kings 15 through 17 how northern Israel was carried away into captivity that's the system that's northern Israel that Ahab brought all this into how northern Israel was carried away by the Assyrians I was going to get into southern Judah southern Judah being carried away by the Babylonians by the Babylonians there in uh, in second chronicles the thirty sixth chapter second kings the 25th chapter and Jeremiah Jeremiah all through the book but particularly about 38 through 41 Jeremiah's talking about the same thing they're talking about in 2nd Chronicles and 2nd Kings 25 but let me just kind of finish something here I'm talking about the sword, the famine, the pestilence go over here to Daniel The and there's questions that have no answer. What is our answer to the sword, to the wars in the world? You can go online and look up. You can go online and just look up how many wars are going on in the world in 2020. It's not one or two. It's about 20 or 30. Severe wars are going on in the world right now. What is the answer for that? There's not any. Famine. Where's the famine? It's all over the world. It's everywhere. They're starving to death down there in South America. And they had on the news, it showed just a caravan of people coming up and knocking on the door. They said, where are they going? They're going to the United States if they can get in. 
They're starving. Starving in Chile. They're starving in Argentina. They're starving in Venezuela. And they're coming up, beating on our door. And if we think that a fence is going to keep them out, it's not. It's kind of like letting... It's like having a fence around a big stockade and you're the only person that's got any food. And everybody's beating on your door. What do you think they're going to do to get in? You think they can't get a boat and get around that fence? You can't. You think those cartels down there in South America don't have enough weapons they can blow up with a nuclear warhead uh, 10 miles of that fence? Sure they can. It's like we're sitting here dreaming. We're going to make everything safe in America. America's going to be great again. It never has been great. It's, I keep saying America was founded on racism. I told a little guy that the other day. I said, I'm not just talking about the black racism. I'm talking about the American Indian. We wiped out several hundred million of them over a 700-year period. Said they didn't have souls. Said the same thing about the black man in slavery. It's America's insane. The, the leaders have been crazy. They can't think straight. I challenge any of you to get you a, a Webster's New World Dictionary and look up insane. It'll tell you to see deranged. See crazy. And it'll tell you the inability to think rational. If you quote Romans 8 and 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. People say, well, I don't mean that. You're irrational. That means you're crazy. Did you say you believe the Bible? I'm trying to show you the picture of where Christmas came from. It was brought in the church and renamed, they renamed the Feast of Saturn. The sun and the tree worship, they renamed it Christ's Mass. Constantine did that. Pope Jesus I gave Christ's Mass its pagan name. i got a paper here. These are notes that I wrote on Christmas about 20, 25 years ago. Major points about Christmas. You give this to people, have them read it. Well, don't mean that. I think that's your opinion. You're an idiot, too. If you can't, they can't read the Bible and believe what it says. Preachers don't believe the Bible, do they? People say, Jim, you're just too hard. No, you're just too easy. This is a hard message. Death to self, daily cross, self-denial is a hard message. Now, look here. This is talking about the end of the beast world system. I can't go through this whole seventh, eighth chapter. The eighth chapter of Daniel. But you can tell who it is. Verse 19. And the angel said, Behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end or the end of time of the indignation for at the time appointed the end shall come. And the ram which thou sawest having two horns are the kings of Media and Persia. You see a ram earlier in this chapter. That's Media and Persia that overthrew Babylon. 
And then he says, and the rough goat is the king of Greece. That's Alexander the Great. It, when I read the first part of this chapter, I get to the end of it. I say, you think I'm real smart. All I did was read it out of the Bible. It's Alexander the Great. And the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. That's Alexander. Now that being broken, wherefore four stood up for it. There were four that took, four generals took the place of Alexander the Great. Lysacomus, Cassander, Seleucus, and Ptolemy. Those were four generals. Four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when would be the latter end of their kingdom? The beast at the end of time. At the end of time. The beast is here. When the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance, that's going to be the man of sin at the end of time. And understanding, well, this is really interesting, and understanding dark sentences. Dark sentences is the word kidah, C-H-I-Y-D-A-H. C-H-I-Y-D-A-H. It means puzzling questions. What are the puzzling questions at the end of time? The sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast is going to rise up and say, I've got the answer to these questions. And they're not. If they have the answer to sword, famine, pestilence, if they come up with this in Washington, or if they come up with it in the United Nations, Throw your Bible away and let's go party because there is no truth if they come up with answers. There's not any answers. I don't care what you guys in Washington say. You don't have any answers for the judgment of God that's upon the earth right now. We're looking at the end of time, I believe, folks. A king of fierce countenance understanding Kedah Puzzling are tricky conundrums. A conundrum is a riddle. It's a riddle. How do you get rid of this sword all over the world? The famine. There's going to be wars and rumors of war at the end of time. There in Matthew 24. means hard questions. The hard questions. This is them right here. You can find them listed all through the Old Testament. I don't know why. When I started studying the Bible back in 1956, and I was 17 years old, I couldn't figure out how to learn it. i just read and read and read and read and read and read, and I'd quit and I'd quit and I'd read and I'd quit and I'd read and I'd quit. But all of a sudden, I'd start seeing sword, famine, pestilence, judgment, four judgments. And I'd say, whoa, wait a minute. And I started seeing these things tie together. I'd see God's going to scatter Israel with the beast. I'd go, oh man. And it would start coming together. If you look up sword, famine, pestilence in your concordance, you'll be reading your Bible all day long just looking up them. You look up scatter. 
I've copied all of this out of my concordance. I've usually got a a paper that's got every time the word scatter, scattereth is mentioned, how God's going to scatter Israel. And he did. How he's going to bring them back, and he did. And his power shall be mighty, talking about the man of sin at the end of time. But not by his own power, it'll be the power of Satan. And shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper in practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people of God when they're under attack. And through his policy, sekel, intelligence, knowledge, sense of understanding, S-E-K-E-L, through his brilliance, he shall cause craft to prosper. The word craft there, he shall cause craft, mirma, deceiving fraud, M-I-R-M-A-H. He shall cause deception through being so smart. He's going to cause this man of sin at the end of time. I've got the answers for the sword, for the famine, the pestilence. And we're going to raise up this world order that's going to fix everything. No, you're not. It's not going to happen. Am I out of time? Three minutes. Next week, I'm going to come back and I'm going to talk to you about how southern Judah was scattered. I meant to do that today. Sometimes I just get off the subject and go somewhere else. I hope you learned something about the sword, the famine, the pestilence. It's still here and it's always been here because of man's obedient disobedience to God. They cannot find out how to fix all the famine in the world. If you go to Bangladesh, you got millions of people lying in the streets starving. You go to Mexico City, you got millions of people in the streets of Mexico starving to death. You got them right here in Nashville, down here off Jefferson Street that are starving. They can't pay their light bills. And if you live in a in a nice uh, middle class neighborhood you say well I don't see anything wrong because you're not looking around we are living I believe in some of the most evil times that America's ever seen because of the greed and the selfishness that's why these politicians run for office they like the power and the money they can get out of the power if we was to say, look, if you get elected to, to the Senate, you can go to, we'll supply you with 50000 a year, not a hundred and fifty or 200000 You'll get 50000 a year, and you'll get a two-bedroom apartment in Washington, and you can never use your position to make money. Now, do you want to go serve the people? No way. They wouldn't want to serve for that. 50000 is nothing compared to what those guys do and what they make.
next week I'm going to come back and try to get into southern Judah being carried away. That's going to take us into the 22nd and 23rd chapter of Second Kings and over to the chapters that talk about Israel being carried off. They've been carried away for 2,600 years. They're back. That has to do with the end of time. And I'm not going to argue with people on the internet. You don't understand this and you don't understand that. Yeah, I know. I've, well, I've only studied for 63 years. I'm sure you've put in more studying. That's a little sarcasm there. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for your truth. God, deal with our hearts and crush us under your hand. Lead us to your elect family. Give us strength to keep teaching, Lord. I get very tired. I don't know what else to do, but just to keep going forward. We'll praise you and glorify you for everything you do, even for the judgments that come on this nation. Thank you for truth and all you do. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I hope we can begin to see all this stuff.